Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Boy, it's really starting to come together now, isn't it? Watching these guys score goals in bunches. Still a few things to clean up, but I think it's finally starting to build into what we thought it would. A point behind Vegas for first place in the West. I would say right around where we expected to be at this point in the season. Going to be a real battle. Two more matchups with the Knights the rest of the way. We're going to talk about that and a lot more on the show, but you got to be excited that the offense is finally starting to click and scoring in bunches. Bunches! That whole goaltending curse we seem to have been fighting off for the past few months seems to have been eradicated. And I couldn't be more excited. Let's talk about it right now as we welcome you into the Believe in Avalanche podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Eric Pesolano. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. And you can also follow me as well on Twitter and Instagram at Eric underscore Pesolano. If you like TikTok, I'm at Eric Pesolano on there. You can find me there as well. Still can't believe I have a TikTok, but I do, and it seems to be working out just fine. I haven't done anything to embarrass myself yet, and I hope to keep that streak going. And hopefully uh, you guys won't be able to make fun of me about anything that I do that's dumb. Or maybe you will. Who knows? Maybe you could spice things up a little bit. Today on the show, we're going to go over the past five games, albeit not as extensively as we normally do, because I'm on a time limit here, and I don't want to bore you for longer than an hour. And then also we're going to grade the team and give out some mid-season awards, We'll look ahead to next week like we always do. Next month, though, is going to be an interesting month, and it's actually going to piggyback off of something that Nathan McKinnon said just a couple of days ago. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but first of all, let's talk about the run that this team put together this last week. Yes, I know they lost two of them out of the five, but one was a shootout, one was overtime, so they still got a point out of the deal. So out of those five games, they didn't quite get to ten points, but they did get to eight, so that has to be looked at as a positive. My confidence is almost back to where it was after the first couple of weeks of the season and maybe more so right before the season started. I said this team had a little bit of something, reminded me of the 2001 team a few months ago. That feeling that had gone away for a few months is now starting to creep back again. They're playing like the team we thought they'd be and they're still not at full capacity. Still missing defensemen. They don't have a whole lot of defensemen down in the AHL either right now that are eligible to play. They had to sign Keaton Middleton to a two-year entry-level deal just to get more defensemen for the Eagles. So they're still finding a way to patch it all together on that back end. And now they're scoring in bunches again, which is what we wanted to see. And all of this has started to spike since Nathan McKinnon returned back to the lineup. Of course, there's still a few areas that need to be fixed up a little bit. We know that. Namely, that power play. Oh my gosh, what is going on on the power play? The, the last time I checked, if you're a team as good as they are, and you're up near the top of the standings, you convert on the opportunities the opposition gives you. They're not doing that right now. They have not been great on the man advantage. You've seen it, I've seen it. They haven't scored on some five-on-threes. Yes, they got a power play goal here and there, and they got one against Anaheim, but... It's still not to that championship level. You're not going to get a ton of those opportunities when you get deep into the postseason. You've got to find a way to convert. 
So that is probably the only area that's lacking for me a little bit right now. And I think you'd all agree. Defense is, is okay. It's not great. It's okay. You never want to give up four to Arizona. Three against Vegas. One was in overtime, but still weren't bad against Vegas. So it's getting better. Bodies they're trying to get healthier. Byram comes back. Then he gets the concussion. Now he's out again. When will he return? Probably not for this game against Arizona. Maybe back for the St. Louis game. So we'll see if he can get healthy to come back and shore up that back end just a little bit. But things are getting so much better. And that's what we need to see out of this team. Let's go ahead and get to the game recaps from last week. Five games in total. I'm going to glaze over the Arizona games a little bit. Because we normally do three or four recaps. And since there were five last week, I don't need to bore you with those details. You all watch the games. So let's skip ahead to the first game against Vegas, which was when Bo Byram came back after missing a little bit of time, and it got off to a rough start. We saw Pacioretty score early on that backhander, uh, the one that skipped off of Kel McCarr's skate that made him very upset about. Then there was a breakaway, Grubauer, who has seen a lot of those over these past few games. That was kind of the start of the whole mess, uh, but he's been very good uh, against breakaways. The Knights end up hitting a post on a different attempt. Defense early, not great. Byram just returning. He was just a small piece of that, but, you know, power plays come rolling through. Vegas gets a chance. They can't score. Avs get a chance. They can't score. Kale had a wraparound temp near the end of that period to try to even things up. It didn't work, so the Knights went to that first intermission with a one nothing lead. Head to the second period right out of the gate. Noshek gets a penalty called for tripping on Graves, and this is where, you know, the shot comes in, rings off the post. There's a somebody's keeping track of shots that bang off the post for the Avs this year. I know they are. It's got to be probably up over 40 by now. But in this power play particularly, like how many times can you beat a goaltender throughout a season and just have it absolutely ring off the post, make the loudest sound that anyone's ever heard? It's even worse when there's nobody in the stands that you can hear it that much more. Ugh, stop hitting posts. But then Jonas Donskoy comes away with that spinorama cricket bat type goal that he smacked off the ice and... Off that little one-hopper after Gerard had that uh, that pass deflected. But they were able to tie it up at one. And that's when things really started to break out. Comfort gets the goal on the power play. We saw McCarr take that pass from Logan O'Connor and bury it. Landeskog slams one home off of a rebound. And you don't say it much, especially against this Vegas team. But the route was absolutely on right here. By the end of the second, it's 4-1. to one. As are out shooting the Knights, 28-10. to 10. Hold him to five shots there in that second period. And the floodgates had just opened. You didn't really feel like Vegas was going to come back in a game like this. And they did not. Avs got one more with Belmar scoring on the backside from Comfer on that beautiful pass there in that third period to really cap things off. And then, of course, the Knights score that goal late. And then it turns out they were offside. Avs challenged it. Knights fans not too happy about it. Why are you challenging in a 5-1 game? Is this a team that... Had a massive lead in a playoff game and committed a major penalty and gave up a ton on that five-minute five-on-four. So they know what it's like to come back from down that far pretty much, right? I'm just checking. I just wanted to make sure. Three stars for me in this one. Number three was Comfort with a goal and assist. Actually, all three players had a goal and assist in my top three here. Landeskog was number two. Kel McCarr is number one. This is the first time all year Vegas lost when they scored first, and at this point in time, Avs and Knights tied in the standings for first place. Of course, the Knights have the tiebreaker, so they get the edge, the points percentage, because they had played one less game at the time. So we go to the game 
on Saturday. Grubauer back in net. Marc-Andre Fleury comes out again. Made me a little unexpected here. Didn't think he was going to go in the first two games of the series. But the Knights knew how important the game was. So they changed things up a little bit. Byram is out. Remember, he suffered the concussion in that game that he came back in. Dan Renouf comes in. Talk about Dan Renouf in, in a little bit. I think his scrap in this game against Vegas really woke up something in the team. And it's a lot of the times the unsung guys who come up out of nowhere to try to fire guys up. This isn't the most physical team in the league in Colorado. We know that. But anytime you get something little like that when he fought with Colasar. Uh, there right after that Donskoy goal early in that first period. You knew it had to do with the Byram hit from the game before, right? Getting that concussion on Bo. Dan didn't like it. The rest of the team didn't like it. And Dan filling in for Bo goes right after him and really gets a little bit of revenge for his fallen teammates. So that was great to see out of Dan. Uh, Avs end up going on a power play interference call against Vegas, but they don't score. They got three shots on goal. They had a couple good chances, but Flurry was Flurry against Colorado, as he always is. Gabe takes a penalty for cross-checking. Vegas comes back a little bit later. Martinez scores on that power play to make it 1-1. And then Taves, at the end of the, near the end of the period, he ripped one right on net and gave the Avs that 2-1 lead. Perfect give-and-go there uh, with McKinnon on that pass. So, End of one. Avs actually being outshot 12-11. to 11, Something we haven't seen in a very, very long time. As a matter of fact, the last time they played Vegas was the last time they were outshot. Not the game before this one, but a few weeks prior. Vegas comes out. Carrier scores off that tip uh, in that second frame to knot things up. And then a whole lot of nothing. Each team had a power play. Neither could get on the board. So we finished tied at two. At the end of two. 22-18 in shots in favor of Vegas at the end of of two periods in this one, sorely out hitting the Avs, 15 to 5. Avs won the faceoff battle. Knights had a power play goal. Avs didn't after a couple of chances. Third period, not a whole lot of action that third period. Looked like the teams were really getting heavy legs from their previous meetings. So you can see that toll being taken on their bodies. And then in the final five minutes, Vegas really turned it on, way outplay the Avs. They were somehow. Able to fend him off. Grubauer did fill up things as he always does. little puck luck for the Avs too. A post was hit. A couple bounces that went up over sticks. And they were able to hold off and take this thing to an extra period. Which was great to get that extra point. Grubauer makes an awesome save. To, to save the game really. In that 2-on-1 against Shea Theodore. Fleury makes a great stop himself. And then Pacioretty comes down. Fires the one. That got deflected by Taves off the post. Pacioretty doing what you're supposed to do. Crash your shot. He crashed the net, especially when it's only three-on-three three out there. Poked it through as Taves snapped his stick trying to knock it away. Vegas wins 3-2 in overtime. They go back into first place in the West by a point. And I got to tell you, we thought it'd be these two teams at the end of the year. It's going to be these two teams at the end of the year. So very, very excited to see that. Moving on to the final game of the week. Avs took on the Anaheim Ducks back at home. Ryan Miller, Philip Grubauer between the pipes in this one. No Ricard Raquel for Anaheim. And the Avalanche went to work right out of the gate. Miko Rantanen, great hands in front after McKinnon found him. Avs get the first one. They lead it 1-0. Avs have now scored in 27 out of 34 games so far this season. By far the most in the National Hockey League. Avs also got to go on a power play early after Comtois. Got called for an unsportsmanlike conduct for playing the puck with a broken stick. Looked more like he was reaching for the puck and ended up throwing it. Not on purpose, but that was the call. 
And those are the kind of things we've seen from officials this year, so that's not terribly shocking. Anyway, shorthanded attempt by Danton Heinen. Wasn't able to score. Grubauer made the save. I, I, I cannot emphasize how embarrassing it is the number of shorthanded breakaways this team has allowed so far this year. And Danton Heinen, again, really, this guy scores a little bit later on to make it 1-1. He's got five goals this year. Two of them are against Colorado. That's 40% of his offensive output has come against the Avs. Can we get somebody on this guy for crying out loud? My goodness, Ducks go on a power play. After there was a fracas between Getzlaff and Belmar, they gave Pierre-Edouard the extra two for the instigator. Comfort had a breakaway shorthanded this time, and that one was stopped by Miller. That penalty was killed off, so the Ducks didn't do anything there. Avs went to the power play a little bit later on. They couldn't score, so we go to the end of the first 1-1. And that's uh, pretty much the last time it was close, because the Avs scored twice in that second period. Tyson Jost was able to smack one in after it landed out of midair, and he beat Miller. Nachushkin and Graves got the assists. That made it 2-1. Avs went on the power play, and then there was a 4-on-4 four four after Rantanen got called for hooking. Ducks went on the power play for a little bit after that. Nothing doing. Avs get a power play after Manson was called for cross-checking. Lots of penalties in this frame. And then the Avs finally converted on the power play here. Landeskog able to tip in that long shot from Makar, that blast from Kale. McKinnon got the assist on that play, as did Makar, obviously. Six power play goals for Gabe so far this season. That's a team high. And we ended the period with a couple minors against Hockenpah and Renouf, who went off for fighting. So Avs lead 3-1 after two periods. Out shooting Anaheim 33-9, including holding the Ducks to just two shots on goals there in that second period. Ducks score early in the third frame. Troy Terry, oh, great hands in front. Actually made Grubauer look pretty silly. To be honest with you, that's the play where everybody thought it might have been touched with a high stick. You look at a couple replays, you think, yeah, it probably was. Whatever, officiating, that's what you deal with. So the former Denver Pioneers get it done again for the Ducks as they come into Denver. But Comfort scored a little bit later on on that impossible angle. And then Chushkin was able to bury one on that wraparound pass. And that's uh, pretty much all she wrote at that point. Avs tack on those other two near the end. They get a 5-on-3 back near the end of the game. And this is where my frustrations really started to boil over. A 5-on-3 against the Anaheim Ducks, you cannot score. You have got to be kidding me. Then it went back to the 5-on-4. They couldn't score there. They finished the day 1-of-6 on the power play. And I, I don't know what it is. It, it's like every time the other team gets called for a penalty, you can't really be too crazy excited about it because you don't have a ton of confidence they're going to be able to put one home. And I, I know they did it in this game, but it was 1 out of 6. Anaheim was only 0 for 2, so the discipline from the Avalanche standpoint still pretty good, not taking penalties where they're not necessary. But also, you got to get it done on the man advantage. It's getting out of hand. They outshoot the Ducks 48-15 to 15 in this one, hold the Ducks to 6 shots on goal in the third period while taking 15, and they run away with it. Let's take a look at our three stars in this game. Number 3 was Val Nachushkin, who had the goal and the assist. Nate McKinnon, number two, with the couple of helpers he had. And then with three assists, I thought Kel McCarr was the best player in this game, both defensively and offensively, if we're being honest. And I put a little notable mention here. Definitely not one of the three stars is the power play unit. I'll stop rambling about that now. So after this, the Avs get the two points. They are now on an 11-game point streak headed into this week. They did take over sole possession of first place in the West for about 10 to 15 minutes until Vegas beat LA later on that evening. So now there's still a point behind Vegas, and the Knights do have that point at hand. When I look at it that way, 
it feels like the extra game at hands to make you feel better about yourself. You just call them victories, automatic victories. So you look at it as really down three points to Vegas with the same amount of games left. That's just the way I like to look at it. Congrats to Phil Grubauer, 100th career victory. And he's the first in franchise history to win 11 games in a single calendar month. And you know that's a product of not having backup goaltending. So you just go with it. So the Avs win 3 out of 5 this week, but the two they lost were in overtime, so a 3-0-2 week. They pick up 8 points in the standings and are 1 point behind Vegas in the Honda NHL West division. So the schedule, we'll take a look at that in just a second. Just want to remind you that you're listening to the Believe in Avalanche podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Eric Pesolano. Make sure to follow the show at Believe in Avs on Twitter. That's at B-L-E-A-V in Avs. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter as well at Eric underscore Pesolano. Find me on TikTok. Eric Pesolano is the name on there. I try to make it simple for you so you can find me and take a look at everything I post on the social media because I know that's High on your priority list, as it should be. So now the team is in the middle of a strange stretch that they have not seen so far this season. It's a stretch of three games in which they will play three different opponents. They haven't done that yet this year, which is very odd. Of course, things different during this shortened season. They had Vegas in the overtime loss. They had Anaheim in the game on Monday. They'll have Arizona in the next one. It's only going to happen... One more time this year, later on in the season, they're going to have a stretch where they play four different opponents in four games. And it'll almost feel like a regular part of the season. But you heard Nate McKinnon (laughs) earlier this week when he said he was sick and tired of playing the same teams over and over. Hey, there's a little parody for you now. Three different teams here in three games, and then you'll have the four later. And then he's going to have to deal with this because coming up in April, the Avalanche are going to play six games against the St. Louis Blues. I was looking it up and I said, well, you know, it's been a while since they played St. Louis. When was the last time? You go back and look at the schedule, it was the first two of the season. They haven't played the Blues since. Of course, they had some postponed due to COVID-19 protocols that got rescheduled. They're going to play St. Louis six times in April. And the first time they play them is going to be on April 2nd, which is Friday. And of course, that means the fans are back. Cannot wait to welcome the fans back to Ball Arena. Something else that Nathan McKinnon voiced his opinions about the other day, asking why he wasn't sure why it was taking so long to let the fans back in the arena. Of course, Colorado, one of the remaining states to allow this to happen. I can tell you, being a resident of Southern California, we're still waiting to. Still no word on Staples Center or Honda Center for when fans will be able to return. I am no scientist. I do not get involved in all of that. I just sit back patiently and await for them to let us know when it's okay to get tickets again. I know the Boston Bruins have recently started letting folks back in the building. So we're getting there, folks. We're getting there. We got to be patient. Got to be patient. We'll get the opportunity. All right, let's take a look at this. This is going to be my favorite segment of this week's show. Let's grade this team a little bit. We're going to grade them on their performance in a few different categories and then give out some midseason awards. Does that sound good? Because I don't care if it does or not. I'm going to do it. It's my show. I do what I want. That's like my slogan. Let's take a look at the forwards real quick. I gave the forwards a B, and it probably would have been a B- minus had it not been for this last week. They hadn't been performing throughout, remember, this is throughout the entire season now. So throughout the whole year, I give them a B. They picked it up this last week, scored in bunches, brought them up to a B for me. Probably the best offense in the league. Eric, why is it not an A? They still can't score on the power play. 
And that's a major problem. And I think that's pretty much what knocked them down a letter grade. So forwards, we're going to give them a B. We'll see if they can improve. We'll talk about it at the end of the regular season. And we'll regrade the rest of the season. For the defensemen, this is where it gets tricky for me. I did give them a B-. I had them on par with the forwards. The difference is, and I did penalize them for this, the injuries. Because you cannot excuse injuries when it comes to a regular season when you're trying to win the Stanley Cup. They gotta be there. If they're not there, I don't care if you're playing backups. It's next man up. And they're backups for a reason. They're not as good as the starters. We know that. They're not as good as the guys who get regular minutes. So, I knocked it down to a B-. They've played well. There have been games where they have taken the night off, and that hurt. B- for the defenseman. The goaltending. I'm the harshest critic. I think Phil Grubauer is the leading candidate for the Vezina Trophy at this point in time. And the backup goaltending is abysmal at the moment. So what do you do with this? I think Phillip's been good enough to keep it in the A range. I have it in an A-. Because if he has to take a night off, it is struggle bus time for this team. And we've seen it. Johansson couldn't get it done in his... I know he's only played one game. It still counts. It's the only game he's played. It's all I can go by right now. Couldn't get it done in his one game. We saw what happened to Hunter Miska. And those are the only other games, uh, only other players we've seen lace it up between the pipes this year for this team. And they really did not perform well. Yes, Miska got a win. It wasn't great. The His performance in the win. But it was a win. So the backup goaltending situation bumped them down to an A- for me. Special teams. Power play and penalty kill, I combine them here. Power play's not good. They're 12th in the league, I get it. If you take away three or four of the power play goals in that game against St. Louis when they scored five times on the power play, they're probably closer to 19 and 20. And getting a C right now is average, right? C's average, last time I checked. They're 12th. They're pretty close to the middle of the pack. So I think C is, is pretty accurate for their power play. The penalty kill has been amazing. Maybe I can move it up to a C plus. Maybe I can move it to a C plus with the way that the penalty kill has performed. It's been stellar. All right, I'll move it up to a C plus. I wrote down C. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. C plus in special teams, roster transactions, and movement between the AHL, the taxi squad, and the big club. I think this might be the best aspect of the team right now, and here's why. With all the injuries, the COVID protocols, not knowing where players stand, right? Jared Bednar's favorite phrase is day-to-day -day or week-to-week. -week. Whichever one, they're interchangeable at this point. For them to be able to shuffle these guys around and be one point out of first place in a West division that is becoming a slobber knocker between the Knights and the Avs, and the Blues and Wild are slipping a little bit, but they're still up there. To be able to still perform the way they have and still not played with a full lineup in any game this season, and I say full lineup because that includes Eric Johnson and Pavel Francos, even though he hasn't laced up for a single game and wouldn't be the main starter, of course. It still counts. They haven't had their projected full roster for any game this season, and they're a point out of first place. What can they do if they have a couple weeks of that full lineup? Maybe not so much Francos. It'd be nice to get him a game here or two to feel like you can lean on him in a postseason game. It's almost too late 
to hope for that at this point. I think Grubauer goes, and he might have to start 27 games in the playoffs, the way this is all going. Gosh, I hope it's not that many. Actually, I don't even think you can play 27. I think you can only play 25. Yeah, 4-3, and 4-3, and 4-3, and 4-3. and Oh, no, that's 28. Yeah, he can play 27. All right, there you go. There's... There's the math portion of the show that I just did in my head there. I'm sure that made for riveting podcast audio. So that's why I have the roster transaction movement at an A-, and I think is the best aspect of the team. It's like I said goaltending is an A-. I have that at like a 91 transactions movement. I have it as a 92. So that makes it the best on the team, but still an A-. We'll work on getting to that A range somewhere between 93 to 97. So with that, I put the questions up on Facebook and on Twitter, asking everybody, how would you grade the team's performance so far this season? Well, on Twitter, 50% of you said A, had a couple Bs in there, and one C for some reason. And then over on Facebook, 40 of you said A, and 13 of you said B. I like it. I like the positivity. I'm going to give you my overall grade here in a minute. But I do like that positivity. I like that the A's got a lot. Of course, a lot of it's going to be biased because you're all Avalanche fans, and I get that. For the realists out there, hopefully you were hanging out somewhere in between the A and the B. Because for me, the overall grade for this team, I'm going with a B++. Because of the way they performed with missing personnel. Because of the way they performed on the power play. Because they've scored in bunches. Because they've killed off penalties... Like nobody's business. They're balancing each other out, and it's so close to an A for me. I have them sitting at right around a 90, or excuse me, an 89.8, 89.7, if I'm doing 1 to 100, or 0 to 100. So that's a B for me, and I feel like if they perform well over the next few games, they're going to move into A territory. So there you go. That's me grading the team so far this season. And now let's move on to team awards. So I gave out a few awards here. One's going to be Team MVP, of course. We're going to do Biggest Surprise, Best Forward, Best Defenseman, and Best Addition to the team. And yes, I've named these awards. Let's start with Best Addition to the team. I call this the Ray Bork Award. I love Ray Bork. Got that cup with the Avs back in 2001. Uh, This one is probably the easiest one. It's Devon Taves. I think we all know that. His contributions offensively, but really defensively, and almost being a quarterback-like back there directing traffic sometimes and getting involved and pinching when he needs to. I'm giving Devon Taves the best edition award. It's it's not really close. Of course, a cap casualty of the New York Islanders ends up getting traded over here. Could not have worked out better for the squad at this point. So there's your Ray Bork award for best addition to the team. Best defenseman, the Adam Foote award, because duh. Guys, it's Kale McCarr. I, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I think it's painfully obvious who the best defenseman on this team is. You notice it when he's gone, and you really notice it when he's there. He can get it done offensively. He's got the skating skills that no other defenseman has in this league, and he's that young. Get ready for this over the next several years. Best forward, the Peter Forsberg Award. You know I had to. It's Nathan McKinnon. Let's just stop it right now. I said a lot of these awards were, were easy, that's why I led with these three. I figured they'd be the easiest ones. Taves is the easiest one by far. Makar is, is pretty obvious, but since Taves is also in there on that list, uh, that made it a little bit closer. Nate McKinnon, of course, always has to battle with Rantanen 
and Landeskog, maybe more Rantanen recently. But I think the best forward on the team has been McKinnon. And I know Rantanen gets all the goals. But Nate, is the he's the heartbeat. He's the heartbeat of the offense. He's the heartbeat up front. We know that. Biggest surprise. You might like the name of this one. I'm calling it the LOC slash JMAC Award. Or the Logan O'Connor Jacob McDonald Award for biggest surprise. But it's neither of them. I just like the way those two have played. It just hasn't been for as long as this particular person has played well. And how well he's played. It's Philip Grubauer. He's been the best on the team. Keeping everything together. With players out of the lineup. Coming up with huge stops when need be. And being the goaltender nobody thought he could be. How often did we hear over the past few years, couple years, that he's not the guy? He's never going to get him there. I don't know that he's going to be the one to be able to win some playoff games. Look, he hasn't played a, a heavy dose of postseason yet. Of course, he got hurt last year, but the way he's playing this season and has proven himself over and over against the teams in this division, he's got to be the biggest surprise. I don't think we thought that he would do this well. So he is our biggest surprise. Which brings me to Team MVP, the Joe Sackick Award, of course. And that goes to Philip Grubauer again, for all the reasons I just said, and so much more. He's been there to bail this team out on breakaways. I, I just, you add it to everything that I just said. I don't really want to repeat myself, but you get the idea. It is because of him this team is hanging out near the top. The offense has stepped it up in the last week, which really got him back into the fray of things. But it's because of his goaltending that this team has been able to stay in this race with as many injuries as they have had. I sound like a broken record. I've said the same thing 17 times over the last 5 to 10 minutes. I, I really don't know what else to say about this guy. You see his name show up on the TV screen when you're watching the broadcast that he's going to start tonight. And you immediately feel like you have a chance. And we honestly haven't felt like this since Patrick Waugh was around. You didn't really feel like you were going to get a letdown performance. They've happened. He's had a few nights where he's looked awful. And he's given up some goals that were not great. But in a season like this, where they've had all those postponements, they're missing a bunch of guys, and they've had these reschedulings, and not as many off days in between games, for him to come out over and over again with virtually no support behind him because there's no backup goaltender that's worthy of holding on for a few nights, he has been the backbone of this team. Philip Grubauer is the Joe Sackick Award winner for Team MVP at the halfway point in the season. I'm including the last week, which actually pushes us past the midway point of the season, but you know what, that's just the way the calendar worked out, and that's when this show aired. So, I'm counting the first 34 games as the midway point of the season, rather than 28, just because his performance throughout this whole season, and this is when the show airs. Really, that's the, the major takeaway. Let's look ahead to the next few games coming up this week. As taking on the Arizona Coyotes on Wednesday night, they'll see St. Louis twice over the weekend at Ball Arena when the fans will be allowed back in starting on Friday. Can't wait for that. At Minnesota on Monday before we come back to you on Wednesday of the following week. So we know what to expect out of Arizona. Kind of had the team's number a little bit. Got to look out for that come-from-behind spirit that those Coyotes have. They did it against Anaheim a couple times. They've done it against Colorado. For St. Louis and Minnesota, they're slipping a little bit in the standings. There's a gap now between Colorado and St. Louis, or rather Colorado and Minnesota. At the time we recorded this, it's a four-point gap between the Avs and the Wild. Wild have a game at hand. 
So essentially, right, what did I say? You assume that's a win, so really it'd be a two-point gap, but it's enough to stay ahead of them. But slipping just a touch, St. Louis with 38 points, way behind now, 10 points behind Colorado, and they've played one more game. So you feel pretty good about the Avs securing a top three seed at this point in time with 22 games to go at the time that we recorded this. So we'll see how the rest of the season pans out. And hopefully, come time for the postseason, however they plan on doing it, home ice advantage in that first round. Maybe not so much in the second round. See what what you do with Vegas the rest of the way. you got to win the division to guarantee home ice advantage through the first two rounds of the playoffs, I'd imagine, assuming they don't go to a bubble format, which they may do. I know that was up for discussion, but still a long time to square away all those details. So before we get out of here today, on a lighter note, let's talk about the Frozen Four and the state of hockey. We were just talking about the Wild and how they're trying to hang in there for a top two spot in that West Division. How about the college teams in Minnesota? Minnesota Duluth, Minnesota State, St. Cloud State, all going to the Frozen Four. And the outlier there is UMass, the Minutemen, hanging in, representing the rest of the country in the Frozen Four. Good luck to them, but with Boston College being eliminated from the Frozen Four, that leaves the possibility of Alex Newhook possibly being signed. Could he join the big club? A lot of buzzing going on about that. Could the kid make his debut sometime? No, stop it. Just stop it. It's not necessary. And I'm going to tell you why. Look at what this team has done. Filling in gaps and getting guys to come up from the AHL. Come up from the taxi squad and fill in and still get the job done. No reason to get him going right now. This is a team that has a real legitimate shot to win a Stanley Cup. Do not throw anybody else into the mix right now. It's not necessary. Is he even good enough? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. He's never played an NHL game. Last time the Avs had a rookie make a debut in the playoffs? Well, it was Cal McCarr and it turned out okay. Does lightning strike twice? I usually err on the side of caution. I say no. Obviously, I'm not the one making those decisions, so we'll see where we go from here. But Alex Newhook, he's got some time on his hands now. We'll see what Joe Sackick and the boys decide to do. If they're going to bring him on board right now or wait till next season. Also, speaking of Boston, because we mentioned Boston College and Alex Newhook... How about a big congrats out there to the Boston Pride who won the National Women's Hockey League Isabel Cup. Of course, the Isabel Cup named after Lord Stanley's daughter Isabel. They beat the Minnesota Whitecaps in that championship game, basically at home, the Isabel Cup final at Warrior Ice Arena in Brighton, Mass. They'll tell you on TV, it's Boston, it's Boston. You know, there's a thing about when you're from a big city, especially Boston. I was born in Massachusetts. My family is from there. When you run into somebody who's from the Boston area, outside of Boston, and you recognize the accent and you ask them, hey, where are you from? Well, there's always a follow-up question, because this is how it goes. Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Boston. Oh, where from? You basically ask the same question twice, because after the second one, they're going to tell you exactly where they're from. And why do I bring this up? Because those little towns and those little neighborhoods that are inside the big city never get enough love. The broadcast kept saying, from Warrior Ice Arena in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, technically it's in Boston, but give Brighton a little love for crying out loud. I come from an area here in Southern California where the same thing happens every time. And I get it. You got to be a little bit more general so everybody knows where it is. But if you really want to know where it is, give me specifics. You say Brighton, Massachusetts, which is a little neighborhood inside the city. Let them know where it is exactly. If I asked you right now, do you know where Disneyland is? You'd tell me, isn't it in L.A.? 
and you'd be incorrect. It's in Anaheim. Do you know where Anaheim is? You probably don't. <laughs> At least if you're not from here. If you're from here, you know exactly where it is. Anaheim is a city that's outside of Los Angeles, and that's where Disneyland is. Same concept. Just give the little area it's from a shout-out. That's all I ask for. Is that too much? Is that too much to ask just to give those little areas a little bit of love on the national stage? That's besides the point. Anyway, congratulations to the Boston Pride for winning the NWHL Isabel Cup. Great victory for them over the Minnesota Whitecaps in that final. All right, well, that's going to do it for us on this week's episode of Believe in Avalanche. We will talk to you next week. Avs with four games on the schedule. I'm going to hope for six points. Let's do six points out of the eight that are available in the coming week. I think that's a pretty fair number. And we hope that all the teams against the Vegas Golden Knights fare very well. (laughs) I like the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm not going to lie to you. I know some of you probably have something against them, whether it's the rough housing that continues and the scraps that happen and a little of this and a little of that. It's to be expected when you've got a winning franchise in their first four seasons that they're going to continue that scrappiness to stay up on top. I like the Knights. I won't lie to you. But I like the Avalanche a lot more. And hopefully they're able to climb back and get to that top spot, win the division, get that home ice or whatever it is advantage through the first two rounds. It, it would at least give you the last change, right? That's That's the most important thing. And your home uniforms. Maybe. I guess. I don't know. Follow us on Twitter at Believe in Avs, at B-L-E-A-V. In Avs, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Eric underscore Pesolano. Also follow me on TikTok. Eric Pesolano is the name. We'll be back with you next Wednesday right here on the Believe Podcast Network as you've been listening to Believe in Avalanche. So long, everybody. Go Avs, go. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.